If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. We don't pay attention, just generally. And so we don't see how to build better relationships. We don't see how our actions are connected to the whole. We don't see the interconnectedness of things. And when you meditate, you kind of develop that skill to see that better. What is biomindfulness and how can meditation help us to collectively work towards a healthier planet to call home? Why is it important to give people space to learn things, process information, and potentially change at their own pace? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. If you're not already following me on Instagram, you can find me there at Kamea Shane. That's K-A-M-E-A-C-H-A-Y-N-E. I'll be sharing more of my ongoing learning lessons, inspirations, resources, and reminders for you to recenter because we really need you to be in your best health to support this movement. I look forward to connecting there. And as we're getting started here, feel welcome to just take a deep breath to ground yourself so you can take in all the juice from this conversation fully. And now to our episode, let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today is an environmental educator, mindfulness advisor, TEDx speaker, traveler, artist, and dog mom. Her work focuses on encouraging ecological responsibility, day-to-day mindfulness, and compassionate eating through a plant-based diet. She's also a zero-waste influencer and educator on Instagram with a global outreach of over 80,000 followers. She's definitely a wealth of wisdom as she's been in this environmental conservation and mindfulness space for over 20 years. And over this time, she's developed and taught a wide spectrum of environmental programs to both children and adults in the zoological and yogic settings. Green Dreamer, starting with what inspired her passion for nature, here's Andrea Sanders. So I started at a really early age. I was about 14 when I started to volunteer at a local marine research center where I grew up on the Gulf Coast of Florida. When I started then, I kind of got pushed into this world that 
you know, I was surrounded by like marine scientists and I got to teach the public about, you know, our local marine environment. And so that really kind of stirred up and lit this fire underneath me for education and sharing this like passion that started to kind of heat up in myself as a young teenager. So yeah, it really started then and it just started snowballing. But that's like my earliest moment that I can remember where I started to engage with the public in that way and learn. I was like super into marine science. I think from the age of 14 when I started, actually I was 13 and a half. That was like the their little, like you could be 13 and a half or whatever. (laughs) I mean, until I was about almost 20 so I volunteered there for a long time and educated. So yeah, that was probably my earliest engagement with environmental conservation and teaching the public. Mm-hmm. And what was something you learned specifically that made you want to dedicate your career to this? I think for me, what really set a lot of things in motion was the sort of disconnect that people had to the environment around them. So, you know, I would station myself somewhere in the aquarium. It's like a research laboratory. It's like the aquarium's not like a aquarium you would visit like on a, in a big city or something. So I would like station myself somewhere like in front of like the seagrass beds or the sharks or something like that. And I would engage with people, but I always, I noticed this from an early age that people just seemed that that was just out there that had nothing to do with their own lives, you know? So I noticed there was this disconnect and not a relationship with the world around us. It's kind of a place you go and like check out things and then we'll go on to your regular life. And that was always really curious to me because for me, I had like this real bond with the ocean. You know, if I wasn't volunteering, I was snorkeling and uh, on the Gulf coast and exploring and learning and stuff. So for me, I felt like, why doesn't everyone why isn't everyone this interested, not just in maybe marine stuff, but, you know, I was also interested in all kinds of other areas, too. So I think that was it is is that disconnect. And we're not really taught how to, like, build relationships with the environment. And so um, that was something that really I'm very interested in that has progressed ever since. Yeah. And so today, in addition to teaching environmental education, you've also been teaching meditation for uh, 20 years or so. How does environmental well-being and mindfulness relate to one another? Oh, they're so important together. And I think that's so if we think of, I mean, from how I was trained and taught and studied, meditation is really developing a relationship with the mind and not just the mind, but with others around you, with the environment. So it's like when we are, when we're meditating, we're not trying to like clear the mind necessarily. Your mind's nature is to think, right? It's like telling fire not to burn. But what we're trying to do is develop a relationship with the reactions that come and go with, you know, how we relate to the world around us with ourselves. And so I think, and and in essence, it's really paying attention. And so meditation and mindfulness is is so integral. And I think it gets left out so much. You know, I think one of the biggest things and I've learned over the years of teaching environmental conservation is that we don't pay attention. 
just generally. And so we don't see how to build better relationships. We don't see how our actions are connected to the whole. We don't see the interconnectedness of things. And when you meditate, you kind of develop that skill to see that better. And it just carries over into every part of your life, whether you are teaching environmental education or not. You know, so I think mindfulness meditation helps us to disengage from distractions, turn out the noise, become more attentive to the world around us. And I think that if there's anything we need more in a world, you know, we're so connected, right? We have our phones and social media and everything. We're constantly like distracted, but then we're also very much disconnected. So I think that really is a way to be more attentive to the world around us. Yeah, it's really important to listen to our natural environments as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm guessing this is what inspired you to coin the term and concept bio-mindfulness? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of mushing these two worlds together that over time and experience and teaching, you know, it's, I think of bio-mindfulness as a mindset, which allows us to kind of explore on our own and it, it, there's no like set way to do it or anything, but it allows us to explore like practices which focus our attention to like the relationships we hold between ourselves and the environment. And that can be on any level, but if it's just noticing the natural world right outside your door a little bit more, thinking about how your daily actions, what, what you eat, how you buy, etc., are related to that right outside your door, you know? So it's, it's sort of, uh, yeah, it's a mindset for us to kind of explore and to reshape our attention and our relationships between ourselves and the world, the biosphere around us. Mm -hmm. And what's the toughest part about teaching this concept to people? Mm, I think just having people dive a little bit below the surface of like, of your very common environmental conservation efforts, you know, how to's, checklists, don't do this, et cetera. You know what I mean? Like, so taking that and just going a little bit deeper into what am I doing? I always think a lot of our environmental work starts with inner work. And that that's, and this is all just coming from experience. So for me, for all those years previous to working with the environment and, and the public, there was like this moment for me that I had come home from one day at work and, and I realized that I was like, you know, I don't pay attention to my actions. My trash can is overfilled. I eat what I want. I buy what I want. I, I probably, I waste, you know, and I was like, what's, you know, that I need to go a little deeper. I need to figure out these relationships that exist underneath me just telling people to save the whales and the rainforest, that makes sense, you know? So I think, yeah, I think it's getting people to, to be more curious and ask more questions. That's, I think the biggest challenge for me is for people just to see if they can go a little bit deeper into why they're doing what they're doing. And what have you found to be most effective as of now in terms of inspiring people to dig deeper? Um, I think just giving people space and telling people like you need, you, you kind of need space to, to learn these things. You need to be flexible. You need to be tolerant. 
And you need to be just compassionate and kind with yourself. There's this, there's this tremendous guilt that comes with environmental work. You know, like I'm not doing enough or I do this and someone doesn't think I should do this. You know? And so I think one of the things I like to give people and hopefully I can, I send that message out through the work I do is, you know, give yourself space to, to learn this, you know, there's no certificate at the end. It's not a competition. We need to be able to understand this and it's a a process. So yeah, I think I want to give them that, that space to, to learn. So ask questions, be curious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is a, um, someone who contributed to an earlier episode talking about how she approaches the plastic reducing process like she does yoga. So it's just Mm -hmm. being mindful of where you are right now and taking things at your own pace and doing what you can. Absolutely. It's just thoughtful action. I like to call it too quiet activism where, you know, we're, we're connecting our own, you know, lives by living as an example. So sometimes even a small, smallest little action may seem like no big deal to us or maybe other people who are maybe ahead of the game or whatever. But to so many people watching us, you know, maybe we're out at a coffee shop, we bring our own cup or whatever. A lot of people, it's like a beginner, you know, so it's like having that beginner's mindset too. So people are like, wow, I didn't know you could bring your own cup or do that. So, and, and you didn't have to say anything. You just did it. Right. And people come up to you. They're curious yeah, so like a little thing that we do can create ripple effects that just yeah, keep going. Absolutely. I think that is so important that that ripple effect is actually what we should focus a lot to cuz I hear a lot where people will say, "Oh, what difference does it make if I fill in the blank, do this or whatever?" But it's not so much. We always focus on just that one thing, but we we rarely focus as a society on the ripples that come from doing that one thing. You don't know the seeds you're planting or people who you're influencing just by going through your day, doing your thing with kindness and grace. (laughs) Yeah. So for us as individuals, we really just have to celebrate every little thing that we do, knowing that it can have larger impacts. Absolutely. We don't know what, you know, the intention, and that comes back to the meditation practice. The intention is where that power really is. Mm-hmm. So you've been teaching this for 20 years. What's something you've changed your mind about throughout this process? I would probably say I was rigid for a long time, meaning that I would be kind of a little grumpy like a grumpy environmentist, you know, like someone and like, I remember too, I was probably in my mid twenties when I started to really think about my waste stream. And I remember distinctly being in a grocery store. I was living in Florida at the time and I had done such like, I, I put so much effort and I, I brought my own bags. I had my own produce bags. I really shopped really mindfully, whatever. And then the person in front of me just had every single thing in plastic. (laughs) And, and I was thinking, Oh God, I just was just like kind of rolling my eyes and just making little comments under my breath. (laughs) I just, 
kind of not being very, because I was just like, I don't get it. Like I see the problem. Why don't you see the problem? You know, just kind of over it, you know? And I think, um, I think it was too, like the night after that I had, um, in my in the little meditation center I think my teacher had addressed something about it was probably something along that lines about sharing or whatever and I connected that with what I was doing and I was like I can't if I act that way even just if I'm hearing it in my own mind and I'm whether it's just rolling my eyes or under my breath or thinking about it I'm not I'm not creating the space for myself or for others because I was that person. Like I was that person in front of me. That's the biggest difference is that I switched from being really rigid to flexible and giving people space to, to learn. So if you could go back in time, what advice or what would you tell the you when you were a grumpy environmentalist who was <laughs> rolling your eyes at these things? Chill out, Andrea. <laughs> Yeah, I I would probably just say, you know, let people learn, you know, it's it's sort of that lesson when I was a teacher in meditation that I didn't teach, I didn't just go and force meditation on everybody, right? I I came I came to that practice because I was inspired by someone else. And so like the same work with environmental stuff, people will come to it if they're not hounded or they, if you stop telling them not to do it, you know what I mean? So I think I, that's probably what I would, yeah, it's just give people that room and, and keep doing your own work. You know, you're not going to be able to change everyone. I'm not everyone's cup of tea. There's just, that's just how life is. Not everyone is going to do the same thing, but there's foundations to being human too. And I think we can all, work together to reconnect ourselves to the environment, even if it's just a little bit, I think even just a little bit more than what we have now. Yeah. So it's also just realizing that it's almost more effective to inspire change in others when we just focus on ourselves and give people that space. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Give people a space. And there's, I, I feel like so much of the change that I've seen in others, I don't remember any interaction with me kind of getting on their case about something. Mm-hmm. I, I would get random text messages from friends that I thought had really no interest in what I did would text me like a picture of their like reusable straws that they got or that they picked up trash when they were on a hike. And you're like, Whoa, like <laughs> I had no idea you were like, you know, and there, and it was, so that's that space because we're all watching each other, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're all Learn inspired. behavior. Uh-huh, for sure. Yeah. And today you you also have an established community and platform sharing your knowledge with people who are eager to learn from you. So for someone with an important message to share, someone wanting to also be able to positively inspire others as you have, what would your top pieces of guidance be? Oh, yeah. Be patient. Be compassionate. Be tolerant. Be flexible with people. Try to say, you know, send your message or share in a way that you include as many thoughts and minds as possible. And I think for me, I don't like to to dictate to people or like these people over here are throwing away, you know, <laughs> just just give people that space and 
tell a story. I think that's probably another thing that I like to share with others too that are wanting to inspire like a community. And if you're growing a community is tell, tell a good story, tell your story, you know, pull from your experience and your own things that you're learning and exploring and, and, and be open to be vulnerable too. You know, I tell people I'm not perfect. There's still trash that is made. Um, but the goal is not to be some perfect thing or to achieve something. It's just, you know, everyone pulling together to kind of reconnect again. I guess if that makes sense. So showing people that you're human, you're relatable, you're just like everybody else, that's really helped to inspire your community. Yeah. And and tell a good story. I think it's easy to kind of maybe just copy other things, but try to put your own spin on it. You know, I think that's important. Yeah, I think everybody has a unique personality and different approaches, different personalities resonate with different people. So it's also important for us to just be us in our own ways of sharing this message. For sure. I'd love to shift gears a little to look at the big picture. I feel like we're becoming more and more disconnected with nature in part just because of urbanization and that physical disconnect. So Mm -hmm. knowing that our world is continuing to urbanize and that um, it's almost more sustainable for cities to build upwards rather than outwards with urban Mm -hmm. sprawl, how can we live physically apart from wild natural landscapes but collectively strengthen our relationship with it? Uh, you know, I think I, I lived in a, a city for, a, you know, about five years and we can be connected with nature just from paying attention more to what's just around us. You know, I've, I've been to cities and I mean, even here in Boulder, while we are surrounded by, you know, the Rocky Mountains and the foothills, cities can take initiative to add nature into the mix. You know, I've seen everything from rooftop gardens to micro farms and like small square foot spaces to just city parks and stuff. So I think it, it doesn't, we don't have to go out backpacking for six days to feel mm-hmm. that, right? You know, we're, we all live on the earth. <laughs> so the earth is just always, always around us, even though we have our buildings and stuff. So um, I think just going out and being attentive. So some of the things I like to do is if you're walking through a city, I always like to spot or notice a certain, certain trees, the leaves, how they change for the season, you know, the, the certain sounds of different birds, even little ants on the floor there's so much around us. And so I think if we're just attentive and pay attention to that, I think we'll, we could see a big difference. Take a walk and put your phone in your backpack. Don't look at it while you're walking down the street. That's something I have to practice too, but it helps me to look at the beauty around me. I remember one time I was walking actually here in Boulder and I tend to walk a lot. It's very walkable here. And I was walking down kind of one of the main strips here and I was on my phone answering some text message or something. And I was like, oh. I looked up and there was a deer right in Wow. Right next to there was a deer right next to me. And I was like, I kind of startled and the deer looked at me too. And I was like, there's so much nature all around me. Now, granted, Boulder's a little different than maybe like 
uh, New York, you're not going to see a deer. But the same thing is like, there's so much we know, there's so much that we, what was I going to say? Something, so much that we see, we don't see that's there, you know? Mm -hmm. And also I like to bring nature indoors too. So if you can, you're up to it. I love houseplants. Yes. (laughs) That's Yes, I have lots of house plants. Indoor jungles. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. So what do you think on an individual level, what can a deeper connection with nature make possible for us? So I think that would be, yeah, I think it would give us quietness and uh, we would be able to strengthen our conversations when we're talking to other people about this stuff, because we would have better attention and we would be less swayed to distractions. I mean, yeah. So it's like that, that's definitely well-being. It's definitely allowing us to use wisdom and compassion and tolerance as we go around our day, whether we're, especially if we're in this field and we're teaching others or we're working in a business that's green, having attention and that sense of better concentration, it's so powerful. Like, I think it's underestimated. But if, if we tune into nature more, in any way we can, it develops better mental habits. Mm-hmm. And that just carries over. It sounds like it really helps with self-development, too, just by connecting more deeply with nature. Yeah, I feel because I think I compared myself sometimes when I was in my mid early mid 20s to now I'm in my late 30s. And I think about those things, the conversations I would have prior to have been practicing mindfulness or meditation to afterwards having that skill in my life. The conversations are completely different. The The way I communicate, the community I have around me is very different. The way I inter- interact and do things is very different. So um, it's it's a skill that I think is, is so important. And I, it's not focused on as, as much as I think it should be. For sure. And going beyond this, what do you think we need most today to accelerate towards a thriving planet? <sighs> well... I think we definitely need more attention. We're just too distracted. I I really believe it. I mean, I see it and it's something I know every day. We're just distracted. We don't know how to pay attention as much anymore. And that really will take us a long way because that, that is rooted to so much of the things that we need as environmental conservationists that we need, if we want to build these communities, we need to grow that within ourselves mm-hmm. and we need more tolerance. And i say this a lot because it's just, it, these are like the foundation tolerance and compassion, give people the space, learn to listen more. It's just so imperative. <laughs> yeah. What do you usually tell people is the first step to getting into biomindfulness? So what's like one action that we can take today to get started on our journeys? Take it kind of like start with the low hanging fruit. You know, there's kind of a lot of things, facets to I think of biomindfulness as sort of like a a jewel or something. And all the facets, there's Mm -hmm. different ways to kind of see it. But a lot of my audience is coming from, you know, trying to reduce their waste which has a lot, our waste really reflects our relationships to things. So I think sometimes starting with what we throw away and how we consume, paying attention to that more. 
is really important. And I think see how much time, like you say, like in a day or a week that you are engaging with nature, just kind of mentally note it. You don't have to write it down or anything like that, but just maybe, you know, how I didn't really kind of was just on the computer all day. You know, I didn't walk around, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. so those little things, I think those are kind of like entry points because once you start to notice those things, you start to notice other things and then it almost starts to kind of evolve on its own for yourself. But I think understand, like thinking about relationships to things. So how we waste, what we consume, how we eat, like looking that a little bit closer for ourselves and then seeing our, um, how much for time we're actually engaging with the natural world around us, whether that's just a city park or, you know, going out into a national park. Yeah. We'll be sure to work on that. Um, but for now, what's next for you that we can look forward to and support? So I'm working on two online courses and for others to kind of explore these concepts. And I'm also writing a small guidebook too. So my goal is to have the book finished before I turn 40. So I have two years. And then um, my hopefully these online courses will be out by the winter time. Awesome. And where can we go to follow you and follow updates on these projects online? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at B0WaysGirl. And then my website is spaceandpause.com. Before we go into our final five, I have an exciting news to share with you. And that is that to thank you for tuning in, we're giving away a gift card from a sustainability-driven retailer or brand to one of our newsletter subscribers at the end of every month. I do need your contact information to let you know if you've won. So to sign up, you can just enter your email address at greendreamer.com. In addition to receiving our Sunday emails of inspiration, you'll also automatically be added for a chance to win our monthly giveaways. And now to our final five. Let's power through. What's one inspiring publication or social media account you follow? I have a lot of answers. So the <laughs> publication I, I think um, I always recommend is a book called Cradle to Cradle, Remaking the Way We Make Things. And it's by William McDonoghue and Michael Brangard. It's a great book, especially if you're trying to understand the circular economy and how we design and make things. Um, and then IG accounts that I have, I just feel like are always inspiring is The Brown Environmentalist and Loam Magazine. Those are um, two IG accounts that I think are ahead of the game. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Uh, What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? I just try to remember that all my actions, when done with intention and compassion and wisdom, will create ripples that are seen and unseen. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of like my little mantra to myself. Uh, What's one must do for your health, either daily or weekly? meditate. <laughs> I take like five minutes, six minutes, 10 minutes, whatever you want. Walk, you can walk and meditate. You know, you can eat and meditate. Mm-hmm. You can lay down. But, um, you know, develop that relationship with your heart and your mind. What's one simple action we can take for our planet's health this week? Well, in honor of Plastic Free July, I think uh, <laughs> refuse single-use plastics. So, Doing little simple things, refuse, you know, the disposable coffee cup, bring your own 
if you can, you know, mug or a thermos, say no to the straw when you order a drink, bring your own bags to the grocery store, start with the low hanging fruit, um, you know, do a small trash audit if you need to, to take a look at what you're tossing, focus on one change at a time. What makes you most hopeful for a planet right now? I think our growing community. It's really inspiring to see all the people that I interact with and I've come to like just like my IG account and the changes that are being made. Because I think, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and just seeing that kind of continuously grow and hearing people's stories. So I think uh, there's something bubbling underneath the surface and that makes me happy. What final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? Well, I have a quote that I love, and I say this in a lot of my workshops, and it's by Edward Everett Hale. And the quotes, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And I will not let what I cannot do interfere with what I can do. We can't do everything, but we can do something. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. You can find the two tweetable key takeaways from this interview, as well as links and resources at greendreamer.com. You can reach me with feedback on how I can improve the show for you through the website's contact page. And again, you can follow me on Instagram at Kamea Shane. And finally, remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.